is episode 44 of Off Script with Trish Glose. Intimate interviews and fun conversations with interesting people. In front of my microphone today is Bill Phillips of Ashland. Hello, Bill Phillips. Oh, Trish. You are artist, historian, and you just said you're trying to retire. Yes, I'm getting old and lame. And <laughs> What does that mean, trying to retire? It means I'm not lecturing anymore. I'm not spending my entire fall period mm-hmm. on the road with, with galleries and trying to spend more time at home with my wife and uh, traveling. Okay. Traveling for fun, not for business. Good, good. I like that. Now, if our listeners and watchers are watching the video portion of this podcast, they will see you have a magnificent mustache. And I've had it ever since our honeymoon, 47 years ago. That's a 47-year-old stash. You betcha. I love it. And you have this like suede jacket. You're looking very dapper this morning. Trying. Okay. That's not for this podcast, is it? Certainly not. Okay. I'm this way all the time. All the time. I sleep in these clothes. (laughs) I wake up and I look like this. It's so weird. All right, Bill. I like to start out all my fun conversations with my interesting people. Where are you from originally? Originally from Los Angeles, California, and I was uh, born and raised down there. My father was an actor uh, under contract with MGM. Mm. So I grew up in kind of the Hollywood setting quote-unquote, for some years. What year are we talking? When were you born? Born in 1945. Okay. And um, grew up down there through the, about, my dad died in 1957. And Mm -hmm. so we left in 60 and came to Oregon. So he was an actor in the 40s. How old was he at this time? Um, He died at uh, 49. Oh, he died young. Yes. And he he was on Broadway uh, in the 1920s and 30s. And he was under contract with the MGM and made 98 movies uh, through the 40s and 50s. Oh, man. I'm including instantly... a, mo- a movie called 30 Seconds Over Tokyo. Mm. And that led to one of the greatest adventures of my life, uh, meeting and being a part of the Tokyo Raiders group. And I met and had dinner with Jimmy Doolittle. Okay, Tokyo Raiders, fill me in. That was in uh, 1942 in April uh, after Pearl Harbor. It was the first real strike against Japan. It was where we moved forward in the Pacific. And uh, Jimmy Doolittle and that crew uh, left the Hornet, the USS Hornet, Mm -hmm. and raided Japan first time. And it was more of a psychological raid than it was a a physical knocking their defenses out. It it had a shock to the Japanese people that, yes, they could be struck. And uh, it was just phenomenal meeting General Doolittle because I realized what a true gentleman and great guy he was. And that's one of the beauties of what I've done over all these years is the people I've had an opportunity to meet. Okay. 30 Seconds Over Tokyo, that was on Broadway? It was a book by Ted Lawson first. And then they picked it up as a uh, typical movie of the 1940s war era, Mm -hmm. where it was somewhat propagandistic, but it was meant Mm -hmm. for the consumer at home and trying to rally the troops and uh, also to get uh, some morale built back up in the United States during that period. Was the play based on that raid? It was, okay. yes. Okay. Loosely. Loosely. As most things in Hollywood are. Right, right. I'm like in love with the story right now. I have so many questions. Um, your dad was on Broadway in the 20s and 30s. That's correct, with the evil galleon. That's not a name that's important these days, but yeah. it was tremendously important in those days. He was okay. very famous. I mean, and this is, he was, it sounds like he was an actor in Hollywood when it was really good in Hollywood. Yes. It was, it was a great time. We lived in the San Fernando Valley when the San Fernando Valley was beautiful. It was paradise uh, before it turned into what it is now. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> some of my fondest memories, I grew up, one of the things as a little boy, 
I sat on Jimmy Durante's knee and looked up at this gigantic proboscis that he was known for. <laughs> and I remember thinking, that's a big nose. <laughs> <laughs> that nose is huge. Huge. Yeah. That is funny when you're little and you see older folks and their ears and noses oh, are yeah. gigantic. And you're just like, oh, man. Yeah. They don't stop growing. They right? really don't. I think when you go to the grave, they still keep growing. Yeah, they just get bigger and bigger. So who did your dad work with in the 40s in Hollywood? Oh, Van Johnson, Spencer Tracy, uh, Jimmy Durante, Frank Sinatra. I mean, he was in a number of movies. He's a character actor. And so when you say William S. Phillips, William Bill Phillips on the credits, who is he? Mm-hmm. But as a kid, I remember being stopped in restaurants and everywhere because Dad was immediately noticeable as a character actor. And so you knew his face, but not his name. Interesting. So what kind of roles did he play? A lot of cowboys. He was a good horseman. I'm terrified of horses, by the way. How funny. You put me in an F-15 pulling nine Gs, not a problem. Right. You put me on a horse, I sweat profusely. Okay. Uh, Dad was a great horseman. He knew a lot of people that were involved with the the horses that they would rent to the studios. And um, so he did a lot of, he did some dance routines, but mainly it was character acting. Um, he was in a movie called Detective Story where he was killed. And that was one of the first times growing up as a kid that I remember my mom and dad having to explain to me mm-hmm. that dad didn't really die. Right. He just got, he's playing like he's shot. Yes. And so I went to see that movie. But so he, he was in a lot of movies, a lot of Western movies. Is, was he a cowboy in real life? Um, not really. He was a just serious actor, a just good on a horse. He okay. loved, loved horses. What did mom do? Mom, uh, she worked as a secretary. And then uh, once I was born, ruined her entire life. She became <laughs> a mother <laughs> to me. How dare which was a, you, which, Bill. which was a terrible thing. Yeah. <laughs> Were you only child? I was, no, I have a sister, Mary Jane. She now lives in Reading, married to a retired police officer from Los Angeles. Aww. And uh, we stay in close contact. And uh, just uh, basically it was, uh, it was a, the family of four. When my dad died in 57, mm-hmm. it was a huge shock. And that uh, sent me over the edge for a while. What did he die of? Heart attack. Okay, suddenly? Sudden heart attack, yeah. Mm. And you were how old? I was 12. Oh, Bill. Yeah. Yikes. And I went around trying to find male role, fig- real male role models for the next five years and got in some trouble doing it. And that's how we ended up in, uh, in Ashland. My mother got me out of L.A. You mean just finding, finding someone that could kind of play dad for you a little Pretty bit? Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Uh, playing Little League. Uh, you know, I just, uh, it was rough mm-hmm. losing your father that early. I can't even imagine what that does to you as a 12-year-old boy. It's hard, and I'll tell you something else that relates to my career is kind of funny. I went to a Catholic school for years, and um, for four of those years, I had an Irish nun by the name of Sister Mary Regina. Mm-hmm. And I got in some trouble in sixth grade after my dad died for drawing an, drawing an anti-smoking cartoon on the back of one of my test papers. And she brought me up in front of the whole class and said, Billy Phillips, if you keep drawing on the back of my test papers, you're never going to amount to anything. Mm. When I had my Smithsonian show, I sent her an invitation. Look at you. Take that, <laughs> Sister Mary Regina. I am vindictive. <laughs> okay, so um, you guys move. When do you move up to Ashland then? We moved to Oregon. Actually, we moved to Silverton, Oregon mm-hmm. in, the, um, in 1961. And then we moved. I moved after I got out of the service. I moved to Ashland in 1969. 
Was the death of your dad incredibly, it sounds like it shocked the entire family. It did. Okay. It did. You had this very romantic childhood. Which came to a screeching halt exactly. the minute he died. Dad was an actor. Mom Absolutely. stayed at home taking care of you and your sister. You're in Southern California in a beautiful time to be yeah. living in Southern California. And then, boom, it's gone. All yeah. That's and heartbreaking. It is. And my dad, being a character actor and not expecting to die, he didn't save a lot of money. So when dad died, it all ended. And I got, I got, I was very disillusioned with the whole Hollywood crowd after that. We only had about, we would have these incredible parties every Sunday with a lot of people at our house. And when dad died, those, after a year, those tapered off to nobody. There were five people that stayed with us. Hmm. And I got quite angry about that. I'm sure. Resentment? Resentment, yeah. Resenting it. And uh, I became very cynical involving people in general. Mm-hmm. You know, that it's all just a big joke. Yeah. Um, your dad's name was Bill. Yep. William Bill Phillips. Is, okay. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go look up some movies. Do, do. That's so fun. I, I really like that story. Um, we could probably talk a lot about that, but we're going to move on. So you, you moved to Oregon when you're pretty young. Correct. Okay. And so you've stayed here ever since. Uh, yes, off and on. Okay. Um, I had a four-year tour in the Air Force, and um, then I came back. I went down and worked as a police officer for the airport police at Burbank to get enough money to go back to school. I was, In fact, I went to UCLA for a short period of time and just decided that this was not good for me. I had mm-hmm. a Volkswagen, and I remember being stuck on the freeway uh, wait, late for a biology class. I lived off campus mm-hmm. thinking that I'm going to study law, and the only thing that's going to change is I'll be working for a firm sitting in a Mercedes on this same piece of real estate. <laughs> and I thought, no, something's got to change here. <laughs> right. Yeah, the circumstances. And that brought me back to Oregon. So connect the dots for me. You Do you go to high school in Oregon? Did you go to high school in Oregon? I finished high school. I started my high school in L.A. Okay. And uh, then finished in Oregon. Okay. Was college after that or it was the Air Force? College was after the Air Force. A- after the Air Force. Yeah. Okay. Why did you want to go into the Air Force? Airplanes. Airplanes. You love airplanes. I have loved I have loved flight and aviation since I was about – it's the first memory. I, when I was uh, giving my talks at galleries, um, I talked about the fact that my first actual memory is a blue sky, big white clouds, and a yellow airplane. Hmm. And I had to be maybe two years old. Wow. So you just it's just been a, a yeah. love affair for yeah. you, airplanes. So you go in the Air Force. Do you fly? I don't. I was uh, um, well, base security, which was air okay. police at the time. And I spent a year in Vietnam. Um, doing that that type of work and also um, I did try to fly every chance I got mm-hmm. I was I would hang around and beg flights <laughs> you were you like to be in the plane absolutely okay mm-hmm. any any chance you got any chance I got any chance I get right right okay so <laughs> school comes after the Air Force and you are studying what what do you want what did you want to be when you lawyer were, okay a lawyer criminal uh, a prosecutor, basically, a, a criminal justice lawyer. And um, that all changed right here. And I went to, I, my degree is in criminal justice. And it changed here. I had always played around with painting and building models. And I took four very bad pictures of air, World War I aircraft and hung them at the Red Baron restaurant here in, at really? the airport. Yeah. Okay. Back in the Ron Byerly days and the Red, uh, Red Baron. And I was hanging the third painting and a voice behind me said, 
excuse me, but are those for sale? And I, could, I was just thunderstruck. And I turned around and said, yes. And he said, how much? I said, $25 a piece. Just picked a figure. Right. And he said, I'll take all four, and I want to commission two more. And with a check for 100 bucks and a wife of six months, I went home and said, sweetie, <laughs> I don't want to be an attorney. I'm going to give this art stuff a try. I want to be an artist. Yeah. And uh, that's where it started, right there. And I knew that I had to do so. I didn't want to go back to school and study art. I'd already spent four years going through to try to get a degree in criminal justice. So right. what I did was to go and um, I joined the fire department. I'd been a sleeper, quite literally, with the Ashland Fire Department during okay. my period at SOU. And so I went back and took the test and joined the Ashland Fire Department. And for the next 11 years, I was a firefighter, which gave me a paycheck. So I didn't have to go in the grovel with mm -hmm. galleries. Mm -hmm. I could do my own deals. And I could trade shifts with guys so that I could go back and study art at museums mm -hmm. all across the country, which I did. And you were painting what? Planes? Painting? I No. Well, okay. Okay. Uh, here's the story. Here's the story. <laughs> I'm full of stories. Uh, you are. I yeah. love it. Um, I started with aviation, and I got into a, I, I visited a number of galleries, and uh, I said, I'm an aviation artist. I'd like to do it as not commercial art, but as gallery art. And they said, well, no, it's commercial. You know, we can't do that. Mm -hmm. Do you do anything else? And I figured, what the heck, you know, birds, wings up, wings down. How many ways can you paint a duck? Right. But they fly. Right. And so I went ahead and said, yeah, I'm a wildlife artist. I do birds. <laughs> so a place called Soaring Wings Gallery, I did a lot of work with Ducks Unlimited. And the gallery owner came and he said, would you like to show it our gallery? You're really good. And I said, sure. So I always had an aviation portfolio. And I went up and did the show up in Salem at Soaring Wings. And there was a fellow, I was selling at about $400 at that time for a painting. And uh, a fellow came down from Portland. He was a used car or a, an antique car dealer. And he said, tell you what. He said, I'd like to handle your work and I'd like you to do a commission for me. How much would you charge for a 36 by 48? I just... I'll charge $1,200. That's, that's he, a big. Big in those days. That was the 80s. Okay. And so I went to dinner afterwards, and I said, go over and see this guy over here. He's the, he's the gallery owner. And so Bruce Watkins, who was the gallery owner at the time, I was sitting there after dinner, at dinner with him. And somewhere between the salad and the main course, he looks over at me kind of sideways, and he says, Bill, about this aviation stuff. He said, how many of those can you do a year? <laughs> And so that's how it all got started with the galleries. Okay. So that's when you, your, your work started to appear in galleries? Is that Correct. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's pretty huge, right, for an artist, it, I would assume? It's, it's, it was a good step in the right direction. And a company that was the largest uh, print dealer in the United States, I heard through the grapevine, was looking at me. And uh, the Greenwich Workshop sent me a letter and said, we'd like to put you on probation for six months and see how aviation might go. Wow. And that, I wasn't even thinking about Greenwich as being a major factor in my life. At the time, I had a, a prince uh, from Saudi Arabia. I'd done work in Saudi Arabia already that invited my wife and I down for his graduation out of Luke Air Force Base. And he was one of the princes. He, he was going to give me a huge deal to do all the aircraft that had been part of the Saudi Arabian Air Force. He was a prince? A prince. I'm not going to say his name. That's okay. But um, at any rate, I had done some work 
before. And I'd had, in fact, a prince came and visited with us in Ashland, spent the weekend with us. But um, so I was counting on this. This was a huge deal, a lot of money. And I was counting on it to say, okay, this, my career is now really kicked off. Mm-hmm. Didn't think much about Greenwich. Never heard from him. I quit the fire department on the thing of, oh, I'm going to be doing work for the Saudis. Quit the fire department. Never heard another word from him. Really? Greenwich, on the other hand, I was, I'm still with them today. But um, they picked me up, and it was just huge. I mean, 1,100 galleries worldwide. Wow. Your work is in. Their work. Their, they were handling I my see. work. That's why I, I say see. I made a joke about, and it's not so much a joke, every fall when I would leave, I'd leave in September, and I didn't really get back until after uh, New Year's, and I was doing um, gallery shows in promoting the work in Europe, in Germany, uh, England, and also all over the United States. Hmm. Wow. It almost, I almost don't believe you. This is just insane. Look it up. <laughs> <laughs> You're the journalist. Look it up. So what does that mean when the gallery works through Greenwich, the galleries that the gal- want your yes. work? Okay, so they're kind of like your agent. Greenwich was my publisher. Publisher. There you go. I okay. had an agent, wonderful lady by the name of Virginia Botter. We started out together. I, listen. Listen. I, here we go. I'm, I'm full of stories. But you are. Virginia and I worked, and this was in the days when she would load her Pinto automobile full of my work. <laughs> go down to Harlingen, Texas. We'd meet down there, and she would make that Visa machine just smoke. And Mm. she saved my life with that Visa machine. Thanks, Virginia. And I mean literally, because I'm always wanting to fly, and I'd fly with anybody that would get my feet off the ground. Right. And I was asked to fly in an airplane that went down the next day, and I was supposed to be on that airplane, and Virginia wouldn't let me move the booth, move from the booth, because we had, uh, we'd been doing so well that she said, you are not going to go fly. You can fly. I'll hold you to the last minute, and then you can catch them on the tarmac before they leave. She kept me. I went roaring down there. The plane was taxiing out. And an hour and a half later, we heard they had gone down with wow. loss of life in the same area I'd have been sitting on the airplane. Wow. She really So she did. truly did. She I mean, really did yeah. save your life. Yes, yeah, she did. So your work is in, at this point, you're getting work your art in galleries around the world. Yes, yes and no. Now, an interesting thing about this is the business has changed a great deal over the mm-hmm. 40-some years yeah, I've been in it. I have no it. idea how this works, how this business works. Yeah, and it was the 80s and 90s were kind of the golden window. Um, I was so busy. I had a three-year waiting list. After 9-11 and with the transition into Sorry, digital art. Sorry, what does art, that mean, a three-year waiting list? For my, my work. For if you work. wanted a painting, you were going to wait three years for it. An original or Correct. Rent? an yeah. original? Yes. Three years for it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So then, sorry, back to 9-11. With 9-11, I had done a show down in Tahoe, and we were really riding the crest of a wave. And Christy and I had a whole new idea for a project that I was working on, and we came back. And then uh, 9-11 occurred. And at the, by, coincidentally, so did digital art. Mm. And it just had started in its infancy there. And what's happened over the years is that the digital art has taken over transi- uh, traditional art to some extent. You can't, I did book covers for Bantam paperbacks. That's all done, done digitally now. Mm-hmm. So the business has changed radically. And I've had, I've changed with it. But at this point, I'm tired of it. You know, I, I just really am 
tired of hustling it anymore, and it's fun to kick back and just enjoy life. Tired of pushing your work? Pushing, pushing the work, having to do the, mm-hmm. you know, your life rose and fell on shows. How well did you do? You've got to stay in front. You've got to keep, you know, keep your name out there. Don't ever, if somebody's asking you to do a major show, don't ever say no. Whether you mm-hmm. want to do it or not, you do it. And these days, the first word out of my mouth and my wife banging on my, my temple saying, yeah. don't do it, uh, is no. To say no. Yeah. Thank you so much, but no. So when you go to a gallery where your work is there and people are, are walking around, is that, was that something that was very fun for you? Was it Oh, tough? it was a high. Really? It was an adrenaline rush high of the first order. How so? Just the fact that you would sit there. A lot of my shows would have, the largest show was 1,200 people. The, the average show was 350, and they would, you'd, you'd have a line, and they would have people working the crowd, making sure that everybody kept moving, because everybody had a story they wanted to talk. And the bad thing is, I couldn't sit there. I would shake your hand, look in your eye, and sign your book, or sign your print. Uh, that was the downside. The dinners afterwards for the major customers were pretty good, because I got to know some people. But mm-hmm. I met so many wonderful people over the years that I actually corresponded with. They'd write me letters. Um, I do miss that to some extent, sure. but I don't miss the promotional part of it. I'm, I'm a very private person, even though I'm an extrovert, you know, as you can see. I can. Um, I also like my quiet time and my, my privacy. Mm-hmm. So that was, that, I don't mind having that. Is that because people wanted to know more about you as the artist? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And your motivation and why you were painting right. these things exactly. and where do you live and, yeah. okay. And it's interesting as a, I could always tell when um, we would have 300 people waiting, and I'd look out there, and I'd be signing, and I'd look out, and here'd be a guy with a model box or a book. And I'd, as an aviation artist, you've got to have every rivet right, every historical fact right, all markings right. You could, you can, I, well, I would paint with a with a Alka-Seltzer right next to me, and um, so you'd look out there, and here's this guy with a model box, uh-huh. and you think, uh-oh, this is going to be right. Hello, Mr. Phillips. I know who you are. I've enjoyed your work, but you screwed up this B-17. It has this many rivets on this particular panel line. And at that point, you kind of glance over at the person that's moving the crowd and say, Yeah. <laughs> and Christy, my wife, got to be really good at making eye contact. Oh, and she'd pull, you, pull them off. Okay. Because they would stop a line in a second. We learned that early on. Right. Was he right? Did you get it wrong? Uh, of course. I yeah. mean, uh, I, was, I was doing paintings uh, about two a month. And so you would have to do your research. I, one of the things I say is paintings are easy. They take me about two weeks to three weeks to a month to do, depending on size. Uh-huh. It takes me sometimes four to five months on the research for a particular painting. So it, I was going constantly. I had stacks of books, and mm-hmm. my studio was a mess. Is that where the historian part comes in? Correct. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you could you could probably easily talk me through dozens of different kinds of airplanes and what they look like and the markings specifically. Yeah. yeah. Fascinating. Fascinating. What is it about? I mean, I know you said it's the first memory, but what is it about painting airplanes? Freedom. Specific, freedom? Freedom. There are beautiful airplanes themselves are sculpture. There's a ballet to flight. I... Broke my neck in Vietnam and uh, during a rocket mortar attack. And I didn't realize I had a broken neck. 
until I was flying in Saudi Arabia, and I had a problem pulling some Gs. And I went to see a surgeon, and he said, you got a broken neck. And he said, um, there are a number of things you can do for it. And I, what I didn't want was to get on the record with a broken neck for what I do. Because mm-hmm. I have to pull a lot of Gs, and I didn't want somebody questioning every time I flew how much I could take. And so flying is it, like getting back to your original question, it's a ballet, it's beauty. I mean, I did a painting called Into the Throne Room of God, where we broke out in an F-15. I did an F-14 in the painting, but it broke out into this magnificent evening sunlight, last rays of sun coming through a break, and we were in this, we hadn't broken through the top layer, we were in a mid-layer of cumulus clouds, and it was like flying through liquid gold. I mean, the the light was unreal. Mm-hmm. And so I did that painting from that. So you go up in different jets, and then that's your inspiration for some of these paintings? Yeah, okay. and my deal with the Air Force. <laughs> nice. You, you get my rear end in the back of that airplane, I'll give you a painting. <laughs> oh, good. And it works. <laughs> it works. It okay. worked. What kind of jets have you gone up in? Everything. 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 Any, it, everything in the inventory, with the exception of the F-14, um, they lost three when I was going through my swim school down and devices course down at Miramar. I was supposed to fly with the F-124 in the F-14, and they lost three in about a two-week period. Mm. And I was called in and told, nope, we're grounding and you're not going anywhere. I got to fly in the F-4 or the A-4 uh, with the F-126 at Top Gun. Um, but my big regret is I've flown in the F-15, got my 9G pin in the, uh, actually, I did the 9Gs in the F-16. Okay. I did a 360-degree 9G pull, show Ooh. pull, so. What? Yeah. <laughs> did you barf? You know, I've got an iron stomach, and I made the tremendous mistake once of down in Pensacola, I, did, I threw, flew three times in one day. I got up and had Cheerios at 530 in the morning. Flew twice in the morning. I had an afternoon go. It was hot. It was humid. And uh-huh. I made the tremendous mistake of going in, and there was a Marine Corps pilot that was that came up with a student in an airplane, airplane called an A-4. Okay. I was in the back seat. He said, do you get sick? And I said, I don't get sick. That's he right. He said, you get sick, you clean my airplane. Ooh. Not a problem, dude. Yeah. Well, yeah. And so I went out, and this was the old days before GoPros, and I had to change my own film. So I had a... A movie camera, and I was filming this thing, and we did two head-ons where we progressively got tighter and we got more aggressive. And he said, break, break, you know, go back, set it up again for the third go. Well, that's my cue to get my head down in the cockpit, start changing film, and get all the stuff done before the G pulls. Yeah. And we're supposed to go back nice and easy. Bank out, go back, set up, come back. He banked out, got all nice and level. He saw me put my head down, and he did a Huge G-pull, hard pull to the left, unload with uh, positive G. And then it, I, I think negative G, positive G, it was just terrible. I popped straight up in the thing thinking we were, we'd lost control of the aircraft, and I could feel the saliva start. Oh, no. I went to 100% oxygen. Next thing you know, grabbing the bag. And I, he looked in the mirror and just, I swear, he had his mask on. And his visor was up, but his eyes kind of crinkled, and I know he was smiling. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. You lost your Cheerios. <laughs> I lost my Cheerios. <laughs> I've heard that if you do go on a flight like this, you, you are, in fact, supposed to eat before. Correct. Okay. And bananas are the best okay. because I've heard 
Unfortunately, I didn't have bananas that morning, but I've heard that if you throw up, they taste the same going down as they do coming up. Okay, that's awesome. Is that all you want to know? That's so gross. <laughs> so what's the coolest jet that you have flown in? Hmm. Where you were just like, this is well, awesome. Okay, the event, I've flown, I was the first civilian to fly a red flag mission. We were, I was down there for three weeks. Uh, after Top Gun, they asked me to go down and fly Top Gun, which was pretty exciting. But the most exciting was flying, King Hussein asked me to go to Jordan and do his Air Force, paint his Air Force. I had parked carte blanche on anything he had. Ho-ho, open the door, will ya? Yeah. And I w- Christy went over with me twice, and uh, I went out and I flew with the Mirage F-1, which is a fighter. It's a French jet, very small. I'm very large. <laughs> And I got full extension on the rudder pedals. When I got in, I thought, uh-oh, because I could feel my knees hitting the back of the instrument panel. I thought, we eject out of this thing. I'm going to lose my legs. <laughs> well, this guy, I, I truly found out what low level meant when I flew with them. They got down, and I swear, they were only about 50 feet AGL, doing about 400 miles an hour. And I mean... Wait, what's that? 50 feet what? 50 feet above ground. Oh, okay. And they were sucking sand. I, I, I was sitting there. I could not believe what I was seeing. Go- I'd flown a lot of low level right. with the Air Force and the Navy. But this these guys gave new meaning to, to suicidal. Wow. Were you nervous? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. I thought, you thought, yeah, dummy, you're going to die on this one. Um, I'm sorry. Go back. King? King, King Hussein. Not okay. Saddam. Right. Good King Hussein of okay. Jordan, and we were the we were the uh, guests of Prince Faisal, and uh, wonderful, wonderful guy. I mean, educated Oxford, beautiful British accent. Were you like pinching yourself at any? I still, I'm still pinching myself. Mm. You know, I my life has been a fairy tale. I, when I kicked a bucket, I'm going to have the biggest grin on my face. <laughs> oh, I love that. So. Um, God, there's just so much to talk to talk to you about. Is one question before we move on? Right now in life, because you do love airplanes, are you one of those nerds that when you hear it, when you hear a jet, do you run outside and and see? We where don't. It is and we what don't call ourselves nerds. <laughs> we call ourselves aficionados. Oh, my apologies. <laughs> I call anyone who is super passionate about anything like myself a nerd because that's what we are. We get so ag- geeky about this I stuff. I agree. I am a total geek. Mm-hmm. I still, I'm 74 years old and I still build models. Oh, I love that. Airplane models. Airplane models, yeah. Yeah. And you still paint. Yep, still paint. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm painting more. I've, one thing I'm doing now more is that the aviation has died off a bit because of the historicity of them. And there's not as much interest. The, the baby boomers don't have the interest in it. Mm-hmm. But one thing that I am successful at is painting la- grand landscapes. And I've, I, the other, my other passion is the Grand Canyon. I have done that Grand Canyon every way you can possibly do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I do a lot of painting of the Grand Canyon. I'm thinking about doing something clo- as I close backwards and close in, uh, centering more on the Rogue Valley, maybe doing vineyards and some Rogue Valley scenes. I've never done them. Now you're talking. Yeah, yeah. My wife says, just slow it down and do that. When, you know, <laughs> you're never going to the Phantom Ranch with me with a 40-pound pack again, so just yeah. cool it. <laughs> I mean, the idea of sitting in a vineyard, if I painted, if I was artsy at all, drinking a glass of wine and painting vines and grapes. Listen, you're, you're hard wine. I'm a, I'm a photorealist. <laughs> couple glasses of wine and things start meandering. <laughs> Those vines are getting fuzzy. Oh, yeah, they're getting fuzzy. (laughs) 
they're taking on a whole a whole different look. Um, the reason for the film in the airplanes is that so you could go back and look at it yes. for yeah. color mm-hmm. and okay. color and maneuvering. You okay. know what's the best angle on this thing? Um, <clears throat> when I was done at down at Red Flag, it was it was intense. We f- we flew started in on the range high, very high, and we dropped down to where we were very low level fighting down low. And I never for f- about 15 minutes I was never straight and level. We were pulling G's, and I was having to change the camera. He didn't tell me what we were doing. We were just trying to keep from being shot down mm-hmm. or trying to sh- shoot somebody else down on uh, electronically, but. Mm-hmm. So where was I going with this? I'm 74 and losing my mind. <laughs> no, you're all good. I was asking about the film when yes. you were, yeah. And so I would film that to see what the setups were like. Okay. And the thing is, with GoPros, they'll pop them on their helmet or wherever now, and they can get them get these beautiful 4K shots. With me, with a Super 8 or something like that, I was holding a camera like this and pulling Gs, and many times, I flew with the Thunderbirds. And I've got this great shot of in the diamond. We're coming up, and then they're, they start to come over. We're pulling G's, and I get airplanes, instrument panel, floor. And it just... Right. So that's what I was fighting now. I, I envy the guys that go up with GoPros uh-huh. now. It's just fabulous. Yeah, it is. It and my really film is. now, when I look back on it, it's all grainy and nasty and... It's losing you know, its color. I bet it's stunning, though, because it was that's a moment in time. It's a moment in time captured with the film of the day. Right. Historically speaking, wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as crispness, ugh, yeah, yeah, terrible. Yeah. I mean, I have Polaroids of friends when yeah. I was uh, little, tiny. I love those pictures. Those mm-hmm. are some of my most favorite things yes. ever that I hold on to. Um, what do you paint with? Uh, Windsor New... I've been painting with nothing but Windsor Newton products all my life, ever since I started. Uh, I paint in oil mm-hmm. on canvas or board, and uh, the process normally starts with a study sketch. When I was when I was just starting and working with the fire department, there were a lot of waitresses around here <laughs> that ended up trading me trade you a meal for this sketch that I'm, and I'd I'd work up a sketch on a napkin. Go home, put it on paper, bring the napkin back, and trade them for a meal. A sketch of what? Whatever. Whatever. You know, uh, an airplane, a cowboy, you know, you name it. Mm, I like that. Um, talk to me about the Smithsonian. Smithsonian show was was fabulous. Your art was in the Smithsonian. It was. And, uh, yeah. Mind blowing. Mind blowing. Yeah. Yes, yes. And that was the biggest evening of my life. I bet. And... The joke here, again, stories. (laughs) Always. Make it a little, okay, tuxedo time. Mm -hmm. And the Washington grazing crowd was there. And uh, it it was huge. I mean, just you look out at a sea of faces before they opened the show and let people in. And they had hors d'oeuvres set up. In in this day, it was 1987, and the Greenwich Workshop spent $10,000, which is a big deal, on shrimp. Just the shrimp for the, and I love shrimp. Yeah, well, they're smart. And they yeah. had, they spent a lot more than that on wine. But I, I got it to the podium and I did my, my little piece, stepped down from the podium and was immediately surrounded, shaking hands, telling stories, going on and on and on. And, but I'd glance over because I was hungry. I hadn't eaten. I'd glance over and the shrimp would come out in these huge things of ice and shrimp. And mm. I'd look at it and think, oh, God. Somebody bring me a glass of wine and some shrimp. And I kept looking, and it kept going down and down. And pretty soon, there was no more shrimp. Mm. And there was no more wine. 
and I had a glass. I had a glass of water, and it was all over. Everybody left, and I told Christy. I said, "So I'm still hungry, and where's the wine? <laughs> where's the shrimp?" She said, "Let's go back to the hotel, um, and we'll get a burger and a glass of wine there." And that was my big evening at the Smithsonian. A whole lot of great stuff yeah. went away with me having a burger and a glass of wine in the hotel right. cafeteria. With your sweetie. With my sweetie, Chrissy. Yeah, that's awesome. When did you guys meet? We met here in uh, 1969, two weeks after I got here. I had to insure my Volkswagen. Wow. And Christy was a secretary. I walked in and said, hey, not bad. <laughs> but I was in a bad mood because I hadn't been able to get some of the courses I wanted. So we kind of argued, and I was a jerk, on our first meeting. And on the second meeting, I really felt bad about it because I'm not really a jerk. Right. And I went back and I said, uh, say, would you ever consider going to dinner with me? I'd love to take you to a movie and dinner. And she kind of hemmed and hawed and I, she was going with somebody at the time. And I said, look, I don't want to marry you. I just want to take you out to dinner. And she, I think I just stunned her. She said, okay. And picked her up and guess what we saw? What? Battle of Britain. <laughs> Our first date. That was the movie. That was she the movie? was forewarned. <laughs> and the rest is history. The rest is history. You guys have been married how 47 long? years. 47 years. And she's the one telling you, say no. Knock, knock it off. Slow but down. she was, she is the CEO. She's the business. She's mm -hmm. the one that keeps me alive. Um, I'm the face and the painter. I'm production, but she's definitely the CEO. And we've had one of the things we learned to do, and I'm glad I took some law courses, was how to read a contract. Oh, yeah. Because they will slide a contract across and say, oh, just sign it. We're not going to hold it to it. It's just boilerplate. We found early on that, no, read every mm -hmm. single word. Parse them. Well, I really do appreciate your Smithsonian story ending with a burger at your hotel. Yes. Like, that's just, that's just classic, and I think that really wraps up who you are, kind of. Yeah, it is. I like it. We're going to wrap up a little bit, but you did bring something for show and tell. This is a, a book of your stuff. Yes, and it's sold out. This wow. is Into the Sunlit Splendor. It's a compilation of not just my um, aviation, but the postage stamps, NASA work. Um, wow. And well, we do. You sent Western. me. You sent me, emailed me some pictures. Yes. I'm going to um, edit some of those over some of this podcast because I do want people to see your work because I think it really does paint a picture of what you've been doing for the yeah. last several decades. On the towards the front, um, there is one painting I'd like to point out. I think it I sent it to you. Is that you? That's me when in younger days when I had lots of hair. And you ha you still have that stash. Oh yeah. Oh nice. This one is called a prayer for my brother. And having been a firefighter, I was after nine eleven occurred, uh, I watched that on TV and I knew what those firemen were facing because when you go into a building when there are lives at stake, you're putting it, putting it on the line. Mm -hmm. And so this came, this came from that, that incident of 9-11. And it, I did it within two months after the uh, You painted event. this. I did. Wow. Wow. And that's one of the pieces that I'm most, most proud of. I bet. These are stunning. The, the detail is what I think sticks out to me the most. Yes. And doing aviation, there's two ways to get ulcers, three ways. <laughs> paint portraits, paint con, uh, uh, Civil War paintings, or paint airplanes. Almost guaranteed upset stomach. 
Yeah. This looks like a picture. Thank you. Like a photograph. I did this background. At the folks on that are watching this can't see it. But right. Sorry. I did the, I did the background um, for Art for the Parks, and it didn't sell. And so I figured, okay, I'll put an airplane in it. Put an airplane in it, send it to a gallery within one week, gone. Mm -hmm. So sometimes if the landscapes don't work, throw some, that's Throne Room of God. Oh, that's the one we were talking yes. about. That's mm -hmm. stunning, Bill. Thank you. Wow. I'm very jealous of people like yourself who can go into a room with paint that's in a tube and make it do this on a canvas. I'm so jealous of that. It's so zen. You're so in the moment. Well, Christy will tell you that we, when people call me on the, to do whatever, uh, one second here. Yeah. When, uh, when people call me and want to speak with me and I'm painting, the rule is if it's really important, you interrupt it. Uh, and if it's really important, just tell them I'll be with them in a minute. Because it takes me, truly, it takes me at least a minute to a minute and a half to get my head back in to the real world. Because I go away. Uh, it, it really is an out-of-body experience in some ways because you are so into the painting mm -hmm. that you are not in the moment. You're not right present with whatever's going on. Yeah. Somebody could come in and, you know, shoot me, and I'd never know it. Because I'm I'm that detached from my surroundings. Wild. And it's something too, you know, again, I am jealous of that. But do you ever, when you're done with a piece of work, you know, you start with something that's blank. There's nothing on it. It's a, I don't know how I do it. I really don't. And you step back and look at this masterpiece that you have created. And is it just like, you, do you stare at it? Do you, I mean. I do when I'm reviewing it. I'll review a painting over a number of nights as I watch TV and the final process of it. Mm -hmm. And um, at that point, once it's sold, once it's gone, it's still my baby. Yeah. But it's move on to the next thing. All right. That's so, so fascinating. You are fascinating, Bill Phillips. Oh, you're sweet. I met you at the Wildlife Images fundraiser in Ashland a few weeks ago, and we just chatted briefly, and I knew instantly. I was like, this guy's got to be on my podcast. <laughs> Thank you. You're just so interesting. Okay, we are going to wrap up, but I feel like ugh, there's just so many stories that you haven't told. Maybe you'll come back. If you'll have me. Okay, of course I'll have you. Final three, best advice you've ever been given. Best advice I've ever been given. That would probably have occurred in 1975 in April at Station 2 in the firehouse. And I was waxing eloquent on philosophy, probably something existential, Kierkegaard or whoever. And okay. A fireman by the name of Al Jenkins said, have you ever read the Bible? I said, no, I don't believe in that. I don't, whatever. He said, uh, you know, have faith in and trust Jesus Christ and things will, you'll, your life is going to change. And I was at the time a hardcore agnostic, did not like Christians. Okay. And believe it or not, I did. And I admitted to myself I never read the Bible. I opened it. I, I went at it the same way I go at everything. Prove it to yourself first, and then you can prove it to others. And I don't like people telling me what to think. Mm -hmm. And I really went into an intensive uh, three-year study of what is it all about. And I studied not just Christianity, but other religions. Gave my cr life to Christ in 75, 
And that's where the real stories begin because I've got stories of travels to war zones, uh, over in the sandbox and other places that are just mind-blowing that I could never have said. I've always said it's coincidental, and it's not. Mm -hmm. You believe there's a reason for it. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. In fact, one of the interesting things, I was an atheist. I really shook my fist in God's face when my dad died and said, you know, you can't be real because how could you do this? Mm -hmm. In Vietnam, in a, in a firefight and mortar attack, they, they were trying to kill me personally. And I remember laying there thinking, God, please don't let me hit. Please don't let him hit me. Don't let him hit me. And I, after it was over, I thought, you stinking hypocrite. You don't even believe that. And how can you, you know, what's that about? Mm -hmm. And that was years before I accepted. So anyway, that's, I don't want to get all religious, but yeah. you know, that. But something it's that in, changed. It's, it is life changing and it's, mm -hmm. it is a hugely important part of my life. And you talk about all the stories I've got. Right. I've got more and some of them <laughs> are just, you think some of these are, are wild. Okay really wild. All right, we'll do we'll do Bill Phillips part two, maybe in a, in a few months. Uh, if you ever left this place, uh, Southern Oregon, what would bring you back? What would you miss the most? Southern Oregon. Southern Oregon. I've been all over the world. And let me tell you, when I come home, I'm home. That made you choke up a little yeah. bit. Yeah. You love this place. Yeah. W what is it specifically? Just the whole area. Mm -hmm. the the west i love the west you know it, it's the east coast is nice but i'm not an east coaster i like to put a backpack on mm -hmm. get dirty get out and go hike these mountains i came here for two things i was a firefighter wildland firefighter they call them hot shots now and i remember this little town called ashland mm -hmm. and that's why i came i chose sock i i came back here because i remember fighting fire in this town but it had two things i needed it had a great little town, but it also had skiing. Right. And I came for the skiing, and I, up until just recently, I've skied all my life. Well, that stash of yours needs more space. It's too crowded on the East Coast for that mustache. Oh, yeah. It and needs this, room. Oh, this, this thing is cut down right now. You should see it. <laughs> when I, I used to ride Harley-Davidson's for 50 years. I rode motorcycles, and sometimes I'd let that thing get out of here. Of course. You have to if you're, if you're on a Harley. But when I'm flying, you have to fit your mask. Yeah. And so when I'd be flying, you have to take it off to here mm -hmm. and short. Right. I'd never left my face, but it was sometimes a small little, uh, small yeah. little uh, caterpillar under my nose. <laughs> I love it. All right, final meal and final drink. What would that look like? You're going to laugh at this one. Okay. <laughs> a 1957 Bob's Big Boy with fries and a. Um, shake in a chilled goblet the way they had it at the San Fernando Bob's in 1957 when I was a kid. Not going to laugh at that because one of my favorite meals on the planet is a burger, especially a good one. Yeah. You know, when last thing, I won't... You're, you're uh, fine. Go ahead. Last thing, when I, when I did the shows, I did shows like crazy, and they all wanted to show me a good time. Mm -hmm. So you do a show from 6 to 8 or 4.30 to 8, depending on the crowd, and then they'd always reserve a restaurant and say, okay, we're coming in at 9, and we'll be there till probably 11, 11.30. Please stay open. So they would come in with about 20, 30 people. Mm -hmm. And they always, I got so sick of French food. <laughs> because it seemed like all of them, French cuisine was the end thing to feed the artists for whatever reason. Yeah. 
And um, all I wanted at times was, please, mm. just take me for a burger. Yeah. I'll take the grilled cheese. That's right. Or give me a burger, please. I love your food, food shot oh, spots. Oh, the West Coast flavors? Oh, yeah. that's They're great. You and me both. That's uh, <laughs> the highlight of my job some days. It's a lot of fun. I'm sure. I just get to eat and, and talk to Isn't people. Isn't that great? It's fantastic. They're, they're paying me for eating. I know. <laughs> I know. All right, Bill Phillips, you are too much fun. If you're listening to this podcast on iTunes and you like it, please subscribe, rate, and review. It helps other people find us. We're also on Google Play and Stitcher. You can check out the video portion of this podcast at ktvl.com. Just go to uh, ktvl.com, click on features, and then off script. One thing that you said today, you said a lot of great things, but... Um, some some best advice that I think you just gave me today is I want to die with a grin on my face because Absolutely. I have lived my life so fully. It's true. And the other thing is if you're if you want to do something, take the chance. Go ahead and do it. I've I've told art students that, you know, doesn't matter to me what you want to paint. If you want to paint uh abstract, if you want to be a photorealist, do it. Just give it a try and figure out a way to do it. I like because it. figure out a way to do it is be a firefighter for 11 years while you really want to be an artist. Just do it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thanks, Nike. And thanks, Bill. Uh, thanks again for being thanks, here. Thanks, Trish.